1 John chapter 2 for this morning's Bible study. 1 John chapter 2. We are making our way through the New Testament verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And as you're making your way there, we're going to pick up at verse 11 where we left off last week. Make it down to verse 18. We'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Heavenly Father, now just this fresh, brand new service where we are once again dependent on the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our understanding, to receive these truths which are spiritually discerned. We, we need the help of the Holy Spirit living in our hearts, sent from heaven for this very reason, to show us Jesus Christ, the living word through the preaching and teaching of his word, the Bible. And so, Father, we lay ourselves before your feet and we pray that we would humbly receive the word of God sent from heaven to save us, to bless us, to fill us with hope and life and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Several years ago, I heard about this intriguing little story as reported by ABC News. I'll read a little bit of the article. It is the stuff fairy tales and Hollywood movies are made of. One day you're a typical California girl, and the next the world treats you like a princess. Her name and face have been hidden from public because she's a minor, but according to the French newspapers, she is the 14-year-old daughter of Prince Albert of Monaco. Albert's own lawyers, uh, they told the uh, newspaper that paternity was legally recognized a few weeks ago. The girl's mother, a former waitress, had a relationship with Albert during a two-week period in 1991 while visiting France. Um, while the circumstances of conception out of wedlock tarnished the fairy tale aspect of the story, the fact remains the teenage girl's father is a billionaire prince who reigns over the country of Monaco. He makes, this would make her grandfather the dashing Prince Rainier and her grandmother the legendary actress Grace Kelly. It will take some getting used to. One day you're collecting babysitting money in a jar for summer camp and the next day you're a royal heiress. <laughs> Well, I'm sure that there was a lot of changes than in this young girl's outlook. Her self-esteem, her self-worth suddenly needed some adjustment, I would think. Maybe some added confidence came. Maybe some hope about the future. Excitement, joy, intrigue. Wow, what's my life going to be like now? now that I have this information. The Apostle John, here in 1 John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is wanting that kind of impactful effect to happen for you and for me, for all believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he will text in, he will stress rather in this morning's text how awesome the connection we have to the king and not just any king, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. He calls us his children, God's children. Now, 14 times the apostle will use 
this phrase, children of God, 14 times in this little epistle. He's trying to make a point. He's trying to impact you. Stop. Think about it. The word in Hebrew in the Psalm, Selah, that just appears in between uh, the passages, that word in Hebrew says, pause, rest, think about what you just sang. And, and I feel like a Selah needs to go in between all of these children of God, children of God, Selah, pause. Would you please think about the, the, the unbelievable implications that should flood your soul how you should think about your life now that you have this information, who you are, who you're becoming, how you're living your life, your attitudes, your values, your priorities in life, your hope, your joy, how you think, and, of course, your ultimate destiny. Once we realize to whom we belong, who our Father really is, life can never be the same, if, of course, you believe it. If, of course, you know that something's happened in your life, you're, no, you're not the same. You opened your heart, you thought you were just accepting Christ, and then, bam, something happened, a change in your heart and life. You've now not groping around in darkness without hope and without God in this world. Uh, now, royal heirs with God, our Father. Verse 12, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. We're going to pause there, so we'll consider verses 12 through 14 here. You know, not very well-known verses necessarily in 1 John. When you say 1 John, you probably don't think of this little shout-out of six addressing uh, three different kinds of groups in the average church. The meaning when he calls uh, out these uh, categories of mature people in the congregation, uh, how he ties an encouragement to it, that it's kind of obscure, and he's repeating himself. And uh, Americans, especially modern-day readers, aren't very keen on, on repetition, they get bored quickly. And so uh, we tend to look at these, I write to you fathers, I write to you children, I write, you're repeating yourself. Let's get down to the do not love the things in the world or the world. Because if you love the things in the world, the love of the Father isn't with you, you know, isn't in you. Let's get to that part. Let's skip over this. But as you will often find a cursory, superficial reading of God's word, sometimes you miss the significance, the impact. Packed. You need a little digging. And so we're going to pause and we're going to dig here because there's a gold mine here, unbeknownst to the casual reader who's looking down ahead when the gold is right there in these two little verses we're going to look at. Uh, now, for context, 
You know, as we've seen, uh, chapter one and the start of chapter two, uh, First John is a book about assurances. He's writing to people who are really upset, uh, Christians who have been uh, having to deal with false teachers, making stuff up, and so they're wondering, am I really saved? I'm hearing a bunch of stuff out there. I mean, what does it mean to be saved? And, and maybe I'm not really saved. And so 1 John is really about assuring folks, look, you are saved. Number one, the assurance of eternal life. He says, you found the secret to eternal life. Death for you is defeated. You are going to live forever. You have assurance as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who looked at the crowd and said, he who believes in me, who puts their trust in me, will never die. That was his provocative claim. You have trusted in Jesus. The Lord is not a liar, nor is he a lunatic. He is the Lord. He will make good that promise. You've trusted in him. You will, John says, be assured of eternal life. The second thing we've heard, this assurance of forgiveness of sins, all your sins are washed away. They will never count against you ever. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall never be put to shame. We have learned that Jesus Christ was our payment. Whoever agrees with God about their sinful condition and confesses that to the Lord, puts their trust in him, by faith are we saved through grace, the gift of God will inherit eternal life, and have forgiveness of all of our sins. He says, listen, I know you still sin. You agree with God. You, you cry out to him. You turn from it. You will be forgiven. And then you have the assurance, finally, that leads us to this passage, the assurance of eternal security. Now, believers have God the Son standing in heaven, as your advocate. So he says, listen, I know you're going to sin. I'm writing to you so that you won't sin. But if you do sin, and we know that we do fall short, we have somebody who stands in heaven on our behalf. Who is it? God the Son, who himself was the payment, the payment for our sins to take away the wrath of God. He is the one who paid, and he's the one who speaks to the Father on your defense. He says, nobody's going to get in between you and God. There's nothing you can do. You didn't earn your salvation by being good enough. You can't unearn something that was a free gift. He says, Jesus Christ ever lives in heaven. He is able to completely save those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. So that kind of wraps up the context. He's saying, hey, here's some assurance. I'm writing you these assurances. Now, these assurances and why we get to where we're going are qualified in that they belong only to a certain group of people. Those who walk in the light, as he is in the light. Those who do his commandments, because Jesus said, hey, if you say you love me, you'll keep my commands. And those who confess their sins before him. These are qualifications. And so perhaps the qualifiers have also upset them, and they're thinking, well, thanks for the assurance, <laughs> because you said in the assurance part, you said, hey, 
if we claim to walk in the light and then do unloving things, you're a liar. If you claim, oh, I know the Lord and then don't keep his commands, the truth is far from you and you're lying to yourself. Well, that's kind of shakes up anybody who's on a search for truth and to know if I'm saved or not. And I hear that. It's kind of like, whoa, I got to do some soul searching. And so, yes, he offers assurance. And now, lest we are overwhelmed by some of that soul searching that we're doing, rightfully so, he's going to come around with some really softer encouragement, getting upfront and personal. He's going to say, hey, listen, you're children of God. I'm writing to you, you who's really mature in your faith, you in the second row who's kind of younger in your faith. You're fighting the battles and you're winning. You who just started your Christian life. I'm writing to you because you are. I'm not writing to the world. I'm not writing to atheists. I'm writing to the children of God. And that is what you are. And that's the point of these verses that we're going to look at now. All right, he is going to encourage every member of the church in three categories uh, that you will find in any church family. First of all, he talks to the mature, a shout out to the mature. And he says, you who are deeply rooted, uh, believers through your long experience and deep experience of knowing God who demonstrate character and wisdom and virtue, you're caring and you're guiding and you're protecting and nurturing others. These he will call the fathers. The word in the Greek, uh, patar, it includes mothers. It really means parents. So he's writing to the mature who he will call fathers and mothers in the faith. Secondly, a shout out goes to the younger in faith, perhaps in years. Now, at first, you may think he's talking about three different age groups here, the fathers, the older, the young men and women, a little younger, and then the children, not necessarily so. He's not really talking about age categories. He's talking about maturity, because you can have somebody who's walked with the Lord a long time and be very immature. And you can have somebody who has really only known the Lord a few months and be very grounded and very mature. And so while age and maturity in Christian life and thinking do sometimes coincide, a lot more is meant here by these three shout outs, as we're going to see. They're going to make up our flow of the message. All right, so we're going to walk through those shout outs. But first, it all starts this morning with verse 12, he says, I'm writing to you, dear children of God, because your sins are completely gone forever because of what Jesus did on your behalf, 100% pardoned. And so, interestingly, he's going to start with this first shout out to everybody. He's going to call a shout out of encouragement to all the children of God in the congregation, because no matter where you're at on your spiritual pilgrimage, high, medium, or low, you're a child of God because you become a child of God at that moment when his spirit and your spirit unite. And so the word for children, the first word you see in your text, verse 12, is different from the word children that appears later. The first word 
uh, emphasizes your connection to God the Father, and it doesn't have anything really to do with uh, age. It has, it's emphasizing, wow, you're connected to the Father, father and child. So like a 50-year-old comes to faith, they're a child of God in that sense, all right? So his first point before we go one, two, three, through the fathers, the young men, and the children, the first point for context is no matter where you are in your walk, you've become his child, whether you're well-established, getting established, or just starting out. Now, he says there, just wonderful, I'm writing to you, dear children of God. Now, if you have become a child of God, when did that happen? So here's the very, very important implications that you cannot miss. When did you become this child of God? Well, let me tell you, it was not when you were born physically, but when you were born again. John has written earlier in a gospel, John's gospel, that clears this up. Uh, that we come to become God's children after our first birth. It's during our human life that we become born again and can be recognized as God's child. So John chapter 1, verse 10, listen to this. Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came into the world through the Jews, but they didn't receive him as one of their own, even though he was one of them. Yet to all, now listen, all who did receive him, to those who believed and trusted in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not in the natural way, not because of a mother and father's will, but born of God. Now, a very religious man who is all about good deeds and charitable service and memorizing the scriptures and going to church. It was synagogue and temple. He went to Jesus to get some answers. John chapter 3. And, and he came with a, a bunch of little small talk. You remember John 3 is so famous. He said, oh, oh dear teacher, rabbi, you, you are... You must be good from God because, you know, nobody could do what you're doing unless God was with him. And Jesus interrupts him and says, Nicodemus, you got to be born again, kid. You just, 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 let's cut to the chase, man. None of this good deeds, these keeping all of these rules. Nicodemus, you got to have something happen inside of you, a new birth. you got to be born from above, born again a second time. And Nicodemus scratches his head. And he says, oh, how could a man go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus says, you're a teacher? And you think I'm talking literally? <laughs> He says, let me explain it. It's a spiritual application, Nicodemus. Uh, he, uh, listen, flesh and blood gives birth to flesh and blood. In other words, a disconnected, sinful, flesh and blood human being can only produce one thing in their birth. Another disconnected, sinful, flesh and blood human being. And then he said, flesh and blood can't make it to heaven. You're ill-equipped. You cannot get up there through flesh and blood. Something has to happen, a spiritual birth inside. You've got to have 
something else happen to you. Now, I saw this interesting article about this daredevil. He uh, set a new world record for the highest parachute jump, the highest sky uh, dive. Now, it looks like he's in space, because he almost is. <laughs> daredevil Felix Baumgarten uh, today parachuted from more than 13 miles high. He was carried aloft by a capsule-equipped helium balloon. Wearing a pressurized spacesuit, he jumped at roughly 71,581 feet. Now, that just cracks me up because it says roughly, and then it says 71,581. All right. Oh, roughly, wow, I don't know how much more rough you could get than that. All right, reaching 364 miles per hour during this three-minute, 33-second free fall before opening a chute at 7,000 feet. The entire jump lasted eight minutes, eight seconds. The view is amazing, he said, way better than I thought. <laughs> now, how many brave men on our next men's activity would like to volunteer to go on this leap of faith. Raise your hand. Look at you. I'm going to let you in on a secret, but you can't tell anybody. And women. Thank you. Yes, too, for sure. You can't tell, all right? You can't tell first service. You're way braver than they are. There was like one guy in the back. I do. <laughs> Don't tell them. You promise? And it was a big crowd today, by the way. <laughs> Look, you want to go up in the sky? You better be equipped, because your natural body, you will be crushed. You, that's what the capsule's about and the spacesuit's about, because your flesh and blood body will be just crushed. You will be a flat piece of paper because of the pressure. Jesus says, you want to go up in the sky, Nicodemus? You think by being good, person that's going to cut it, you will be crushed. You have layer upon layer of sin and thought and bad deeds and falling short and evil imaginations. You will be just obliterated. That was the word I was looking for. <laughs> I found it. <laughs> Thank you. Now, he says, let me suit you up. The Holy Spirit, you clothe yourself in Christ through faith. And what a beautiful picture, folks. I hope you see it in John 20. And Jesus walks through the wall in his new earth suit, which is very spiritual, on Easter Sunday night. The guys are there, and he says, I got a lot for you guys to do, to get up and go tell the whole world. But he says, first, peace be unto you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit <sighs> from the Creator God. He blows the wind back into them. They become living souls, living spirits. The first time this same Jesus, pre-incarnate, created man, he blew into man's nostrils, Genesis chapter 2. He blew the breath of God into man, and he became a living soul. 
He said, the day you walk away from me, the day you join arms with the devil, the evil one, the day you sin and disconnect from the source of life that I just blew into you, that will be retracted and you will die. And the moment she did and gave to him and he did, they died. They got the ruach in Hebrew, spirit or breath blown out of them. You ever fall as a kid, hit yourself on, on the back, and the wind just goes, whoosh, and you're like, you know you want air, and you know you used to know how to breathe, and suddenly you forgot, because you're trying, your brain is going, uh, inhale, 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 and nothing's happening. Why? You got the wind knocked out of you. Well, somebody took a fall, your mama and your father, in the garden, you were in them. And they fell on their backs. And they got the wind, the breath, the life out of them. He said, you'll die, and they did. And they produced two, number one son, Cain, a murderer. Why? Because he went to inhale, and there was nothing. Because flesh and blood gives birth to flesh and blood. You need some CPR. So the one who comes to Christ, who opens his heart to him, then the creator stands alongside and says, okay, CPR. Oh, now you've got your breath back. Now you can hear from God and relate to him. Now you know what's right and wrong. And not only do you know what's right and wrong, you got the ability by his power that lives in you to actually fulfill the commands that he's given you to carry out. Amen? Amen. Thank you. I needed that. The real significance of this, of course, is the world's view of the universal fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. Nice idea. Warms the heart. Unfortunately, it's theologically incorrect and unsound. Now, as a fifth grader at Fisk Elementary School in Wellesley Hills, Massachusetts, I sang for the assembly a song for Christmas time that I still remember the words. Let peace begin. Oh, sorry, I, I forgot them now. <laughs> let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let there be peace on earth. The peace that was meant to be with God as our father. Brothers, all are we. Let me walk with my brother in perfect harmony. Well, it wasn't perfect in harmony. I was a little flat, because I have a problem that way. <laughs> However, I was being misinformed as a fifth grader. That was a lie. That is not the truth. God does not see mankind as one big brotherhood of man and him the head of the whole place. That is unscriptural. God sees man in two categories, believers, unbelievers, Christians, non-Christians, saved, lost, sheep, goat, good fish, bad fish, good fruit, bad fruit. It goes on and on and on. Wheat and weeds. Sheep and goats, did I get that one? All right, I'll throw it in a second time. John seems to get away with repeating himself a lot. 
So uh, there you have it, folks. Now, if you want to change the word there in the song, let there be peace in the church and let it begin with me. It's God as our father, brothers all are we. Yes. And I am not a brother of somebody who, who disrespects the father and says there is no father. How can you say we're brothers? I live a whole different life. I, I know this other father. I have different goals and values and priorities. I march to my father. Who are you marching to? You don't even know he's there. You don't even acknowledge his presence. Jesus said there are two fathers, the true father in heaven, and the wannabe imposter father, the prince of the power of the air. That's not a father that you want to have in your life. John's saying then, this letter is written for you who can call God your father, the most basic assurance of all. He says, you are a child of God. Your sins are gone, forgotten, dealt with, paid for, cleansed, pardoned, covered. And why? He says, oh, by the way, it's on account of his name. Your forgiveness is based on what Jesus did, his action, his offering, his effort, his death, his payment, his holiness, his righteousness, his prayer for you, his goodness. It's all because of Jesus for the sake of his name. Abba Father did that for his children. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite? No. Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. So one simple sentence. See what I'm talking about? I mean, he really just said, look, I'm writing to you. You're a child of God. You're sitting there. You're listening. That's who you are. Let that settle in on you. And then now we're going to talk about the three various shout outs, different stages of Christian development. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to encourage all of you. I see you. I know who you are. The Holy Spirit is pointing you out this morning. And number one, he goes to the grown-ups. A shout out to the grown-ups in the congregation. Grown-ups meaning mature in faith. So he says, I'm writing to you fathers and mothers in the congregation who parent, spiritually speaking, the congregation, because you really know him, you really get him and his heart. You are level A of maturity. You are fathers and mothers in faith. Now, these men and women uh, are mature because the ecstatic rush of the ups and downs and the emotions of new conversion have settled down. They have slugged it out in their lifetime with intense spiritual battles and weathered crises and spent time in the pressure cooker. They've been on their knees. They know what it is to seek God. They know what it is to hear his voice and to obey even when they don't want to. These are the mature ones. They've been disciplined. They've exercised their faith. They've weighed upon the Lord. They've really gotten to know him, and they've emerged from the fire refined with a father's heart. And so what makes a Christian mature? The highest level you can go in Christianity is called the fathers or the mothers in the congregation. I love what Ephesians 4, how Paul sums it up. He says, 
that a, a, a Christian who's reached maturity has a full understanding by experiencing and walking with Jesus. You're no longer a baby tossed back and forth by every new trendy teaching. You can't be fooled anymore, led astray, because you're grounded, because you've gotten to know him. You've got his heartbeat. You know how he thinks. You're just, you're grown up now. Satan can't move you. Sin can't rule you. False teachers can't fool you. And the world can't school you. <laughs> I went crazy as usual. I just couldn't stop. It just goes on in my head. Make it stop. Just kidding. <laughs> well, listen. I'm driving back from a birthday party last night very late, unfortunately, on a Saturday night with my lovely bride of 27 years. And we were talking about the evening and finishing each other's sentences. And I'd saying, yeah, I know before you even say it. Yeah, I know. And I just looked at her and I thought, in just this lovely sense, just delighted. I know that person. I, I know her. She knows me so well, 27 years every day, becoming one with somebody. Just beautiful. And I look forward to more of that. But just that knowing, I mean, I can look at her face. I got the whole download just by an expression or the way she holds herself. I got the whole thing before a word is on her tongue. I know it completely. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean it like Psalm 139. However, that's what he's saying. Fathers, mothers. Look, I see you sitting there. You get him. You know him. You've been up and down. All he has to do is you catch a look. You hear a little whisper. You got it. You're starting to think like him. You feel like him. You, and in fact, now you're a father like him. And the number one sign that you've reached this place is that you come in, and now you're concerned about everybody else. You're not so concerned about you and what you're getting out of everything and who's talking to me today and what I need. A part of that ha has to happen. But really, a father or a mother in the faith, they come, they're all about the guy sitting next to me. Is he saved? Does he need encouragement? So John's saying, hey, I'm writing to you, Dad. I see you, Mom. You guys are the ones picking up after everybody, making messes, spiritually speaking. You are the ones who are changing diapers. You're the pointing the kids in the right direction. I see you. You're the ones writing the checks to pay for all of this. You're the mature. You're the dad. You're the mom. Gone are the days about what you want and your dreams about summer, where you're going to spend it, and all of that. Because now you've got somebody to care about. And when you see yourself, instead of always needing discipling, starting to disciple and replicate, then you know, I'm arriving into a mature season in my life. So secondly, there's a shout out there to those who are a little 
behind in earlier stages of the walk, verse 13 and 14 combined, paraphrase like this. I'm also writing to you young men and young women in the Lord because you're dominating the devil. You're winning the battle. You're slugging it out and conquering. You are strong, and your strength comes from knowing and having the word of God in your heart and life. John acknowledges it's a real battle, and nothing is more apparent to somebody who's young in the faith as that they've stepped into really a literal spiritual war zone that they never even knew existed. You all remember coming to faith and then realizing, wow, number one, I've got two natures inside of me. One wants to do what God wants me to do, and the other side is opposed. And then I find I'm fighting this battle in my own heart. In my own mind, I've said, this is the kind of life I want to live. Lying is bad. Telling the truth is good. And then in my heart, a thought comes up, lie. Don't tell the truth there. It's a, just lie. And then you have to say to yourself, excuse me? I just said, I'm a Christian now. I don't want to lie. Lying is bad. The father of lies is the devil. I don't want anything to do with him. And then there's the voice, you need to lie. What? In my own head, I have to tell myself, shut up. <clears throat> Do you know what that looks like when you're walking down a hallway and you go, shut up, <laughs> and nobody's standing there? Why? He says, you are in a battle for your soul, and your own heart is trying to sabotage the deal. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. What is wrong with me? I got to fight every day. How long do I have to wrestle my thoughts inside my own head? Till the day we die. That's why the Holy Spirit says crucify those things. Not only that, we have our former friends raising eyebrows and marginalizing us at work or whatever. Oh, they're so happy. Hey, I found the Lord. I'm reading my Bible at break time. I want to obey the Lord. And they're Really? You fanatic. And then they're so happy when they first hear, and then they don't want anything to do with us. We don't get invited anymore to anything. What is up with that? Where's the love? <laughs> Thanksgiving. Everybody's on one side of the table, and you and your Bible are on the other. <laughs> and the one other Christian in your family. He says, you're fighting. You've got to deal with all of this. The world around me, hammering me. Young men and young women, sexual immorality is a god. Is a god. You can't even buy a hamburger without seeing soft porn. And he says, you're overcoming a world that has godless values and pressure every day, conform, 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 or will marginalize you. And he says, I'm writing to you because you're doing it. In the face of that kind of pressure, look at your life. You're here. You're listening to the word being read to you. You're in church. You're overcoming. It's happening. You're walking on the water. Not by your own willpower. You yourself know, well, what happened to me? How did this happen? How can I stand against this? And yet I'm doing the very thing that I never thought I could. And that's spiritual warfare. Straight up from baptism, Jesus, our model, 
goes driven into the wilderness to do hand-to-hand combat with the evil one. And it's often young men and young women who profess their faith. They have to face the evil one, you know, and his demons and all of that. And finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He says, for your struggle isn't about the people you see or your circumstances. It's the forces of darkness behind them. He says, the devil has a roar. And it's not very long after you hear the still small voice of God that you hear another sound, a roar of a lion seeking someone to devour And what does John say? He says, I'm writing to you because you've got your foot on that beast's neck. You? Are you kidding me? Look at you. He's saying, shout out to the young men and the young women who could live with their own depraved heart that's twisted and vile and wicked beyond all things, who could resist a world that's gone crazy for sex and everything else that is godless and can live with this kind of spiritual warfare against them. Look at you. Shout out to you. You are strong. The word there is mighty, to be, have steel inside you, to have a resolve. Uh, the word for the hurricane that comes down on the Sea of Galilee is the same word. You are strong. You are fierce. You are determined. Look at you. You've lost friends. you put up with the strain in your family. You go on. People make fun of you. The godless professor at the JC in your psychology class has given you a C because of your narrow-minded ideas. And you take the C, and you bring him a gift, and you pray for him with a smile. Look at you. You're dominating. You're winning. I'm writing to you because you're a winner. I'm not writing to your godless peers who are losers by choice. I'm writing to you, young men and young women who are overcoming and dominating. You're going to make it. Look around you. You're more than a conqueror. That's who I'm writing to. And that's why it keeps repeating, I'm writing to you, winner. Got the power and the strength, of course, is predicated on Christ's victory. And he shares that with us through the word of God, he says, that dwells in you. But just like when Peter was doing what he could never do without God's call in his life, walking on the water to the Lord in obedience to his command, Lord, tell me to come to you out on the water and I will come because if you command it, I know I could do it. And the Lord says, hey, that sounds like fun. Peter? Come. And Peter climbs out of the boat like a crazy man, eye to eye with Jesus. He knows that's the Son of God. He told me to do it. I can do it because he told me I can. And he starts doing what Peter could never do, apart from the calling and the connection, the word of God living in between him like that. And the second his eye breaks fellowship with his God and Savior, he starts to sink. You take the word of God, living word of God, the written word of God, 
out of the equation, young man and young woman of God, you, it will fold up so fast like a cheap stroller, all right? It will just <laughs> cha-ching. I'll let you in on a secret. I said, you take the first service. You take the word of God out of the equation, and then I'll fold up like a, I couldn't think of anything. And I started thinking of boxes and a little shelter in Tijuana, and I'm trying to explain that. And I was just like, just sinking, sinking, sinking. <laughs> a slow death, it was awful. And so someone came up to me afterwards and said, folded up like a cheap stroller. And I said, thank you. <laughs> And it worked. I can't wait to tell Carissa. Marissa. Whoops. All right. Where was I? Something about a stroller. <laughs> the word of God. Know the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. Get the word of God in you, around you. Not because you're cute or good looking or you, you, whatever it is you think you got. You haven't come this far because of anything of that. It's the word of God. Get it. Memorize it. Use it. Quote it. That's the secret to your strength. Finally, the last group, the shout out. He says, hey, I just talked about mom and dad taking care of business. I see you out there. Praise God for you. And then he says, and young people in the thick of the battle, you're winning, you're dominating. And now he says, oh, don't worry, you babies in Christ. You just started. We love you. We see you there. The same deal goes for you. You're not immature because of your own fault or neglect or your own willful ignorance. You just started. You're supposed to be hungry, craving for milk. And the Bible says, Eat, drink that milk, the milk of the word of God, and you'll start to crawl You'll start to walk. You'll start to toddle around. You'll start to get the language. And you'll grow to become just like them. So a, a shout out to the babies. I'm writing to you little ones in the faith. And that word means little ones, not the first children to connection to God, but those who are under discipline, who are dependent and needy, they're children. You know, it takes a while for, for little ones. I mean, uh, for example, we had a, a I, I asked for anybody who is uh, young in their faith under a year to acknowledge that by raising their hand. So second service, if you've known the Lord 12 months or less, under a year, raise your hand. We'd like to just acknowledge you. One, two, two, three people. All right, why don't you stand? All right, one, two, three, four, okay. So, so stay standing. Okay, six months, you've known the Lord, six months or, or less, still stand. Five months or less. Okay, our brother back here was five months. Four months. Three months. Two months. Our brother here at two months. There's two standing. You're two months too? 
the winner for the youngest in Christ in our congregation. Thank you. He's saying, he says, sister, I see you. You get, you get the whole package. You get everything that everybody else gets because why you know the father. You've met your father. That's what he's saying. It's a beautiful thing. And for a while, you know, you're going to have a little drool. We'll come by and help you. <laughs> it's beautiful. Your drooling is beautiful. I remember being a baby Christian. You remember it? You know, I went to my pastor and I said, boy, Job really went through it. And he goes, you, <laughs> you want a job? What? You want to go through a job? You need a job? And I said, no. Job really went through a lot, didn't he? He goes, Job, Job. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. And then, you know, sitting there, everybody said, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. What? Is that leather? A kind of leather? What? That was what I said to somebody. Is that a kind of leather about 1 Corinthians? And, and so, you know, you know, you're holding the Bible. They take it and they turn it the right way so <laughs> that you can read it. It's a wonderful time. And you come in and you are loved and uh, you are supported. You know, you're learning the songs, you're learning the, to, to walk. It's just a beautiful thing. It's one thing to have a biological father, which could be wonderful or maybe not. But it's a whole other thing to come to know God, the maker of heaven and earth, as your father. Perfect in every way, you the object of his great love and affection. That's what he says to the little ones. He says, hey, I see you out there, yeah, you little ones. And I'm writing because you found a father, and he found you. You got a father. Listen to that beautiful sound. Uh, someone created you with purpose and intent. You are wanted. Someone is looking out for you, making sure there's food on the table, clothes on your back, a roof over your head. It's not just up to you anymore. Somebody's along now watching over you. Someone to hear your fears and your failures, your problems and your needs and your dreams. A father. Someone who believes in you when others don't. Someone who's got your back. Someone who loves you unconditionally and lives to defend and protect you, to guide your every move, to walk you through the tough times, to laugh with you. In the good times, to cry when you're hurting. He's the ear to listen, the hand to hold, the shoulder to lean on, the advice you need, the guidance you crave, and the acceptance you've been longing for all of your lives and never found. Because there's a God-shaped hole in the heart of every human soul, and nothing you can put in there can stop that ache and that emptiness until God himself fills that place with his own presence and love. You have a father, and I'm writing to you little children because you're not an orphan. You have a father. You're a royal heir now. Your father's more than a billionaire. <laughs> cattle on a thousand hills, a thousand hills with a thousand cattle, just times it all by a million. That's what he's got. He owns the earth. And you're his child. He lives in a palace. And you're his beloved. 
When I worked at Denny's when I was uh, 20 years old and I was a busboy washing dishes, it just worked in graveyard. It was so much fun. <laughs> and there was a bunch of uh, guys talking about who they were related to. You know, well, my cousin is this rock star and da 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 da. And the other one goes, well, uh, my brother is da 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 da. And then I came into the conversation. And I said, hey, you guys, have you seen the sun and the moon and the stars? And they said, yeah. <laughs> I said, my dad did that. <laughs> <laughs> and they went, oh. <laughs> How nice. I, uh, see those dishes over there, bus boy? <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, it doesn't go over very well, but, boy, there's something that is so healing and so moving, especially if Dad wasn't there or Dad fell short. God love him. He did his best, but, yikes, something was amiss, and just wounded. And on that day, you realize perfect love. He sees no flaw in me. He thought me up. He's the one who thought I'm going to make a Ross because I want one. <laughs> and why would you make one if you didn't want one, right? So he created me. And there you are. I designed you because I wanted you. Here you are. And now I made a way for you to live forever with me, me and you together. I'll be reigning. And guess what? You'll be right by my side, reigning as junior. That is awesome. If that doesn't cheer you up in a day, man, and the reason why we get so depressed is because we lose sight of who we are. Closing remarks in his book, Capital of the World, Ernest Hemingway wrote about a father in Spain who had a son named Paco. Because of his son's rebellion, Paco and his father were estranged. Tired of the separation and the angst and the desiring reconciliation, the father thought he'd take the first step. He searched for Paco with no success. Finally, in desperation, he placed an ad in the Madrid newspaper, and the ad read, Paco, all is forgiven. Meet me at the newspaper office at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Love your father. Paco is a rather common name in Spain, and Hemingway wrote, Hemingway wrote this, that when his father arrived the next morning, there were 600 young men, all named Paco, waiting and hoping to receive the forgiveness of their fathers. I write to you, little children, because you know your father. Your father's found you. He's been calling for years and years and years, and finally, it wasn't the first time he was calling or that you heard his voice when you said yes. This is something he's been waiting and longing for. He says, I'm writing to you. I'm, I see you, Mom and Dad, paying the bills and cleaning up and working, not caring about your own needs. I see you. Thank you. There you are. You're doing it. You're mature. You know him. You're replicating his heart to the congregation. 
I see young men and young women out there in that godless, sick, perverted world holding out the word of life, shining as stars in the universe. Philippians chapter 2. And I see little ones just starting to toddle the little old. But you've got a God in heaven who's your father. And you are heir and heiress to a fortune that's eternal. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these six sentences that we normally just kind of race through. Thank you for the encouragement, the shout outs to, to everybody, to all of us, reminding us of who we are in you and who we're becoming. We pray that the Holy Spirit minister to our hearts, even in this last closing song, hammer us with the truth of who we are and how loved we are in you. In Christ's name, amen.